Now listening to Real Friends, a movie podcast. You become what you always were. A very big fish. Welcome to Real Friends, a movie podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Madison. How the heck is it going? It's going great. You look warm. It's hot. It's hot here. It's supposed to be like you're in LA and I'm in Seattle. Like quintessentially, you're supposed to be in the sunny weather and I'm supposed to yeah. be in the rain. And it's I'm wearing cool. a long sleeve shirt and you're wearing a tank top. It's 95 degrees here, baby. Yes. I'm wearing a tank top and like bike shorts. I look like a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I got bike shorts the other day and then I returned them because my legs are too short. They can't support a bike short. Oh, no. I look they go stumpy. down to your knees? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're actually capri pants on me. <laughs> I was just going to do something like new and different this week, and I was going to be the one to ask Emily, uh, what what new have you watched? What have you watched? What have I watched new? Yeah. So I didn't watch anything full and new, <laughs> but I did watch a really good trailer. So if you have anything that you watched that's new, you tell me first, and then we can get into the trailer talk. I watched the trailer talk. I watched Nope. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. How was it? Yeah. I saw Nope on Friday. I don't. And I, we texted afterwards. We and we were like, well, we can't it. Yet. And I don't want to say anything. I will say it's great. Okay. That's- we almost went last night. We were in, I was making my Lululemon return. <laughs> I was making my bike short return. We walked by the theater and I go, oh, Nope's playing. Should we go see it? The, the next start time was 9 p.m. And because I am 32 years old, I said, that's too late. Nope. Nope for me. For nope. nope. I, you got to see it. You guys have to see it. It's great. But I will say you and I have been hyping up this movie for a long time. We sat and dissected the trailer for like an hour when it came out because That's I was right. visiting you. But I think it's like maybe my least favorite of the Jordan Peele okay. movies. But I think okay. a lot of people disagree with that. And a lot of people think that it's like better than us. So that's okay. where I'm sitting with it. But that's all I'll say. So I love, I, I liked us, but I loved Get Out. So I'm very excited to see Nope. Tell me about your trailer. Trailer talk. Trailer talk. Let's get into that trailer talk right now. Um, okay, so San Diego Comic-Con was this past weekend. Mm-hmm. The Wakanda Forever, so Black Panther Wakanda yeah. Forever trailer, did you watch it? Yes. Why is it the one of the best trailers I've ever seen? It's yeah. so good. It's a real work of art. I will just say it's also beautiful. a masterclass in in an in a song adapted use in a trailer because that has been so nice. overdone. Yeah. And they did so good with the music and the trailer. And it's obviously super emotional because like Chadwick Boseman passed away. Mm-hmm. So that opens up so many questions of who's taking his place. How did he die? Who do you think will take over as the new Black Panther? I am not. I am so not the person to speculate okay. here. So I'd like you to tell me your answer. I feel like it might be Letitia Wright who plays Shuri, his or Suri, his little sister, uh-huh. I feel like it could be her. It could be Lupita Nyong'o's character. It could be Denai. I don't know. It could right. be literally any of them because they're all, they're all like strong characters. But I feel like it's going to be a female character. And I don't know the comics, so I'm only like MCU loyal. Yeah. I'm not sure what like might happen in the comics if it's already been revealed. But I feel like 
any of these people can be like amazing contenders to be yeah. the next Black Panther. And it's going to be super emotional and insane, but it I'm super excited. I feel bummed Daniel Kaluuya isn't in the next one. I know, but I, but I don't know why. I mean, his character in the first movie, get out of here. Uh, good pun. Oh. <laughs> get out of here. Get it, get it, That's funny. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> the way our brains work. Wait, what happened with Michael B. Jordan at the end of Black Panther? Is he dead or will he be in he the died. sequel? Okay, well, he died in he died in uh, Black Panther's arms. To quote Kiki Palmer, "Sorry to this man." <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> but he's beautiful, and we love a Ryan Coogler film. Um, very exciting. We love a Ryan. We love a Ryan Coogler film. Yes. Um. So, film. Speaking of films, <laughs> that leads me into my favorite part of this, which is our transition into what we're actually talking about today. Uh, Madison, please tell me what the genre is for this week. And what are we talking about? First of all, the transition, speaking of films, really good. Can't believe it took us to episode 48 to use the transition, speaking of films. I mean, we've had weirder ones. Yeah, this one's certainly. too obvious. I don't, it's not my favorite, then, if it's too obvious. All right, then we'll rank it low. Okay. Horrible transition, mediocre at best. Yeah, I agree. My bad. But speaking of films, this week... The genre we are talking about is a little loosey-goosey, a little loosey-goosey, baby. And this week, we are talking about films based in folklore. The title of this episode was almost Folklorian Films, because that sounds really good. But I wanted to be really specific, films based in folklore. Mm -hmm. And let me just give a a little bit of a background on why I chose that wording, is because theoretically any movie could be based in folklore because it was adapted by something that was written, which is a script, right? So it's like folklore is at its core something that's based in storytelling. The official definition is folklore is a body of culture that is shared by a particular group of people. It encompasses the traditions common to that culture, subculture, or group. It includes oral traditions such as tales, legends, proverbs, and jokes. So Essentially, folklore is storytelling. Like you could loosen it up as much to the fact that like it is pass it is the act of passing down stories. But the way I'm thinking of this genre, and I'm very open to if people interpreted it differently than how I interpreted it, is films based in folklore, films inspired by kind of famed folklore that we know, famed legends, famed uh, older pieces of writing, and and have adapted that in some way. And some of those are really obvious, right? So getting a, ahead of the curve here, like almost any Disney movie applies. I wrote that down for mine too. I said literally yeah. every Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, applies and, and is like a, an extremely important bookmark in the history of film, like, right, we kind of take the fact that we got all of these fairy tale princess movies for granted, but like, how cool is it that the people who are at the forefront of animation in our industry, like, decided to adapt fairy tales and adapt famous stories that can't come from like crazy long lineages of human culture, right? Like, Little Mermaid, I think, is based in like. Swedish lore Mm -hmm. Snow White has been around for like who knows how long and I think that's German um and so I I think that's so like what a cool kind of like bookmarked piece of history that we've gotten in in animation but 
what I noticed while doing research for this category, and I did do research, a lot of time when we pick genres, we like don't want to Google things, but I definitely, I wanted to be educated here. So I did some research. And what I found is that like when looking up films based in folklore, they kind of fall into three different categories. The first is children's movies. <laughs> the second is straight up horror movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is it? The like Hansling, Gretel, like all those kinds of Brothers totally. Grimm. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll get into some other, but there's like a lot of horror movies are based in lore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third, which I think is kind of a recent introduction, is like superhero blockbuster, right? Like Thor is a very old character that existed way before comic yeah. books. And a lot of our modern superheroes who were created, you know, for Marvel or DC Comics can be like their lineage and their inspiration can be traced back to older lore and, and right. older creatures that so have any sort of mythology essentially for great, any of these great word mm-hmm. totally so those are kind of like i think the three most prominent genres when we're talking about things that are inspired by old lore um but do we want to start with user submissions this week before we get into our own lists sure fucking why not man let's let's start with some user submissions because we got some really good ones here so emily kick us off okay we're gonna start again going to mythology we have troy the wonderful film do you furrow your brow you know you know troy with uh brad pitt it's the tale it's the greek mythology tale of troy i also read this book fantastic book and i fucking love this movie and this was submitted by our real friend kyle thank you kyle for submitting that thanks kyle i furrowed my brow because i was like um, was Troy real? And I had to Google it. <laughs> I read the, I love everything. And there's Achilles and there's like uh, all these, I, lo- I love Greek. Greek mythology is probably my favorite thing to read and like explore in terms of the, the lore and the mythology of everything. Dionysus, what a guy. You know what I mean? So Troy, uh, great, great submission, Kyle. Great Thanks, submission, Kyle. Next up, really good one. Submitted by a couple people here. Pan's Labyrinth, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's a really fun one because it kind of dances on two of the genres we talked about, which is children's movie and straight up horror, which Guillermo often does. So shout out yep. Del Toro. Uh, and that was submitted by Marilyn, Armando, and Crystal. <laughs> a very common one. Uh, I love this submission. Robin Hood Men in Tights. Emily, yes, this does count. This is 100% <laughs> based in lore, but like a more fun version of it, I would say. Yes. Agree. Definitely. And this next concurred. one is my favorite one, Madison. So please best take submission, it away. Rachel. Like literally the best submission ever. Yes. I can't, and I don't think I would have thought of this. Same. Rachel, we love you. Thank you for submitting Shrek. <laughs> we got Pinocchio. We got Robin Hood. We got the three little bears. We got everything. We got the three little pigs. I said three little bears. I meant yeah. Goldilocks and the three bears. I was going to let it fly. Yeah. Well, I corrected it. I, I, I corrected it myself. It was no, perfect. It was okay. We have every, I mean, that thing's chock full. Chock full. Yes. Really good user submissions. Emily, what do you have on your list for this genre? All right. I got a few. Hit me. I I, I mean, I also just mentioned this, but I, I also said every single Disney movie ever, ever made animation wise. Uh, and yeah. then kind of going into that. Into the Woods, which I know is a cheap uh, answer because technically this was a stage play musical before it was made into a movie. 
was adapted. So I'm going to say Into the Woods again. We have Little Red Riding Hood. We have The Witch. We have Rapunzel. We have everybody, Jack and the Beanstalk. A lot of people, a lot of tales are included in this movie. Cinderella, all these people. You know how I feel about Into the Woods. Oh, I, Madison, how many times did you see Into the Woods in theater? Is it eight? I don't know. I've kind of blocked that chapter my end of the woods chapter of my life out because oh. something like overcame me and i just like, yeah not stop watching that movie i think you saw it like eight times i remember you i haven't watched movie. it in like six years because i just like watched it so much then i was like oh, I can't maybe I it's it maybe it's time to watch oh, it again it's time. Oh, um chicken little i put that on my list i guess it also <laughs> falls into yeah, that technically also falls into a disney animated movie that's um, funny no but it's a good you. one to call out yeah, why not? And then lastly, uh, going into the horror of it, which I love, Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp. Fuck yeah, yeah. great Christina Ricci, yeah, every, all, what, a, what a cast. Really good one, yes. Christopher Walk. Christopher Walken, again, we, we talked about him last week, talking about him again. So those That's are my I, top. I'd love to do, well, I think Sleepy Hollow is based in like American lore, right? It because is. Sleepy Hollow is, is a town in New York. Mm-hmm. I, that would be really interesting to kind of like trace back the roots of the Headless Horseman story. I'd like to do some research on that. Also, great, great story. And fuck, God, it's also done in Disney. Disney Animation has just taken every yeah. single like folk story out there and has created something awesome. Jack and the Beanstalk. There's Mickey and the Beanstalk. Yeah. Which I really love. Like a very visceral memory for me is when they're divvying up the food that they have left and they're like making very, very thin slices of bread. That's like essentially like it looks like laminate. They put a bean in between it, like a slice yes. of bean. Do you remember this? Yes. I'll put a screenshot on the Instagram. But yes. I remember them eating their little quote sandwich. It's just like the, sl- the thinnest slice of bread with a single slice of bean in between. <laughs> I did not remember that movie at all until you just repeated yeah. that scene and I can paint it right now it's so yes good. so thank yeah. you Disney Animation for making all these things come to fruition uh, Madison love give you. me some of your favorite examples of Happy movies to. based in folklore so as I mentioned did some research here um and I am gonna I'm gonna once again break this down by genre so I'm gonna start with some horror movies that are yeah. based in lore some obvious ones The Witch Great. Terrifying. Midsummer. Yep. Candyman. Oh, really, really good example. Candyman's a really yeah. good one. Did you watch the original? I watched the new one. I have watched the new one. I think I've watched the original, but I think I watched it at camp when I was like 12. Like it was a long time ago, and I think I was maybe too scared to finish it. At 12? How old were you? It was film camp. There were no, it was lawless. It was lawless. Damn. (laughs) Um, Candyman, Suspiria is one that came to mind Mm -hmm. for me, uh, just because the, you know, the witchiness. How about Krampus? Krampus, yes. Krampus. Krampus. Very, very good example. (laughs) (laughs) I'm half German, so I'm allowed to talk like that. (laughs) Can you say it one more time? Uh, no, give me <laughs> give me a prompt. Ah, uh, Krampus is a very good example, Madison. Yeah. He said, "Ah, uh, no." <laughs> and then I went. That was funny. Leaving uh, that all in. Um, my dad does not talk like that, and he's one hundred percent German. <laughs> Franz. His name is Franz. Franz Schneider. Franz. 
Franz, his brother's name is Hans, and I'm not joking. Another one, Nosferatu. That mm. sucker pun dates back a long time. Yeah, any vampire, right? Like any vampire werewolf, right? For sure. I think the reason I chose Nosferatu. Yeah, the reason I chose Nosferatu specifically is because he's kind of our OG. So like every vampire tale we have has stemmed from Nosferatu. So I just, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think you could even say that a lot of like monster inspiration maybe like came from Nosferatu. Like if you were going to draw like a like a heritage map, I'm sure like Frankenstein would jut off from Nosferatu. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure that that sparked a lot, but I'm going to say I'm going to lock in Nosferatu. Um, A fun one that I was excited to read a little bit about Black Swan. Oh. Which is, of course, based on Swan Lake, which is heavily influenced by, I'm going to butcher these names, Dostoevsky's The Double. And it's that's based on a German folktale by Joanna Carl August Musaus. I yes. fucked all those up. But no, anyways, so beautiful. Black Swan is actually derived from like really, really old German folktales and lore. Black Swan and Swan Princess, I guess we can say. If we're folding True. that in. True. <laughs> Disney. Was Not that Disney. Disney. <gasps> My bad. Maybe Fox? I don't know. Um some fun ones here princess bride yep monty python and the holy grail Ugh. and excalibur and camelot all those mm-hmm. king arthur tales boys. yeah yep and then my final kind of just cherry on top here for my list um which i think is actually the inspiration for me choosing this genre the green knight oh i still haven't watched it i know i know i think you'd like it I, yeah. I don't know. We talked about this on the thing. You might you might hate it. I kind of think you might hate it, but I do hope you'll like it. Okay. Madison, yeah. with all that being said, great examples, great user submissions. But what are we talking about today? I'm interested because I can't wait to dive into this movie. So tell us what the, the movie is that we're going to discuss right now, please. Right now. Can you say that in German? Can you yell it at me in German? Right now! <laughs> The movie we were talking about today is a little bit of a different interpretation of this genre than the the ones we have been speaking of. Um, it is a movie I love that I have been pleased to see many people love. We will get to that in a moment. And the movie we are talking about today is Big Fish. What they don't tell you is that once time starts again, it moves extra fast to catch up. What's your name? Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Big Fish is a 2003 movie directed by Tim Burton that follows a frustrated son who's trying to determine the fact from the epic fiction in his dying father's life amidst their fractured relationship. This movie was written by John August and is based off of a book by the same name by Daniel Wallace. It stars Ewan McGregor, Albert Finney, Jessica Lange, Marion Cotillard, Alison Lohman, and many others. This is a big ensemble cast. Gotta mention Helena Bottom Carter. Always. Danny DeVito. Huge cast. Really epic. And Emily, what I don't think I knew when I chose this movie is that it's apparently quite divisive, as you and I have learned all too well in the last 48 hours. Like, it is, but it isn't. 
it isn't. It simply is good. But mm-hmm. before we dive, we get into why we love this movie. We just have to state that uh, Real Friends graphic designer and Emily's sister, Katie, <laughs> hates refuses. this movie and refuses <laughs> to participate in this episode. So we will not have character graphics because Katie mm-hmm. will not make them. So we'll have character graphics, but Madison and I are going to make them ourselves. So please bear with us because, I mean, Madison is like... 98.3 more like percent more creative than I will ever be in my life. So I might do like a fun little thing. I think it's going to I think it's going to well listen. She said she said she will not listen to this episode. She will not pull sound bites. She will not do a character graphic and we're putting this out to the public because she won't tell us why. But apparently there is something in this film that traumatized Katie so deeply that she was so upset about us doing this episode she tried to convince us not to she tried to convince us not to record the big fish episode yeah also i this is news to me i've grown up with this motherfucker for my entire life my mom was like let's watch this movie and we i thought we both loved it i loved it i watched it frequently i had katie said i used to try to hide the dvd so you wouldn't watch it I wish I could go back in time and be a fly on the wall for like Katie hiding the DVD. Not only that, she said she would hide it with a pair of chopsticks because she didn't want to touch it. Yes, which is so weird. I mean, listen, everybody, Madison and I tried really hard to find out what scene in particular Katie Upset hates her. about this movie. So maybe we'll do a poll. <laughs> For why block, we, why did that think this on movie, it? Yeah, upset Katie so much because we like need to know. But you did something genius, which is you put up a poll on our Instagram and you said, I did. "Do you I like said- this movie or does it give you nightmares?" And I think that was a good thing to do because I the past forty eight hours I've been like, "Is it just us? Like, are we yeah. the only people who love this movie?" Yeah, I don't know why, but we also thought maybe this is just a very divisive film. It's not. We put a poll up. And honestly, we didn't, we had a good amount of people reply back. So I'll say out of the 115 people that have seen our story, a good amount, more than 100, 84% said that they love this movie and 16% said they do not like this movie. Yeah. So like probably a wider margin of negativity than I was expecting, but this is a great move. And I do think it is divisive in the sense that the people who hate it seem to like really hate it. Like, I don't mm. think there's a lot of people who come out of this movie feeling lukewarm. Right. You either hate it. I thought people generally love it though. I think people generally love it. I'm so my thoughts on this movie and I'm interested to hear yours are like criminally underrated, criminally yes. underrated. And I don't know, actually, I don't know a lot of people who have actually seen this movie. So whenever I mention it, people are like, Ugh. What a great film. Yep. Generally, I've never heard anybody up until this point, Katie, who has <laughs> said they do not like it, which is yeah. crazy to me. And I want to find out, we'll find out later on. I'm seeing Katie this weekend. So yeah. maybe I'll try to get it out of her to be like, listen. Get her drunk. And I'll like- say, listen, between you and me, and then I'll put sidebar and the podcast followers. Um, what do you, like, what's the reasoning? What's and the rub? Hopefully she'll, yeah, hopefully she'll let us know. Yeah, I um when I was choosing this, as I very often do, I text our real friend Peter Lee and my brother. Ugh. And um I usually will text Peter because when I get down to choosing an episode, I'm usually choosing between two or three and I can't decide. Always. So I 
So shout out to Peter for like basically curating my choices of the podcast because I always text Peter. And so I texted him two options for this episode and his response was an emphatic choice for Big Fish and his immediate commentary was like this movie is so underrated like no it's everyone so on big fish no one talks about how good this movie is but it's that amazing said, emily i'd like to hear we've heard a little bit about your history that you've loved this since a child but um since a child yeah since a child we've loved you've loved this since a child but i, I i'd child. like to hear about why you love it and kind of your a little bit more detailed history with you yes. in this movie so we we love Kiki. Kiki is my mom. Uh, she's the one who introduced Katie and I to this movie. I guess Katie had something different going on with her life, but I loved it. And I and Kiki normally is very random with her movie choices that she introduces to us as kids. Sure. I think generally I'm more attuned to what my dad recommends to me. So thank you to my mom for introducing this movie to me, and she likes it as well, which is big because she actually likes a bunch of random movies. And I think she has a very distinct taste and she doesn't like everything, but this is a movie that really stuck with her. So therefore I love it because she loves it. And also just because it's a good movie, uh, bought it on DVD, watch it, watched it frequently growing up, like in my high school years. And when you recommended it, I was super excited because I thought the same thing as you and Peter were talking about. It's an underrated movie. It's super underrated and it's a fantastic film it's not super Tim Burton-y as other movies that I found that he has made. So it's a great one. And it's also very touching. I think the relationships and the themes are very sweet and like it still transcends to this day. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a timeless film that anybody can watch. It's not outdated in any way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can we do the quote game? I would love to do the quote game okay more than anything should we do a refresher for people who might not know what the quote game is because i've realized that the last 40 episodes we've just just do it it no explanation take it away okay so the quote game is very simple uh this is a game that we saw on the tiktok uh we're old the tiktok TikTok. and the the object of the game is for us to say the same quote We've done it a couple times, I feel like, right? We've done it a couple times, but generally it's just like a reason for us because our love language is movie quotes. Yes. I don't think that's official, but we're making it a love language. Um, So it's just a fun game for us and also for other people. So please play along. And if you get it right, let us know. And our success rate, I'd say, is maybe like 2%. 10 percent. 10 percent. Let's let's go middle here and just say 6%. I'd say we have about a 6% success rate here. So it's really thrilling when we get the same quote. Right. And it's more for us just to like have fun and say our favorite quotes of the movie. Shall we try? Let's do it. Ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. And we're done. (laughs) (laughs) So 12% now, I guess. Said by none other than Miss Miley Cyrus. Miss Miley Destiny Cyrus. What a fucking career debut. That pan to the camera. Edward, don't. Edward, don't. Also, why did that stick out to us more than any other quote in this movie? Because it's the best one. Oh my God. There's so many. First of all, that is an entirely quotable scene. I was old and I fell. I wasn't old at all. I wasn't old at all. (laughs) My God, what anything- that is. 
literally like so many random things stick into my mind in this movie. I have no idea why. Bob Hope? Bob Hope. There's so many. Wait, I wrote down quite a few. So there's, as we already spoke about, there's, I don't want to eat you. Yeah. Carl. that line. Carl, I don't want to eat you. This line, I talked about this when I pitched this movie to you on our last episode, but there's this scene, the scene when um, Marion Cotillard is talking to uh, older Edward Bloom she's talking to him and she is a photojournalist and she says, can I take your picture? Can I take your picture? And I, I have said that once a week for my entire life since I saw this movie because I like taking yes. pictures. And so whenever I'm taking someone's picture, I say, can I take your picture? And no one knows why I'm talking it. in a, well, not a French accent, but something like it. Well, you should do it in a French French accent so they understand. And also they should listen to Real Friends Movie Podcast. Just they should. Pitch it. Because yeah. then they get me a little more. Another one yeah. I wrote down that I love. Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you. Just fun to yell. Can I just say a question about that really quick now that we're on that topic? Yeah. Is Edward's, like, Mm -hmm. pursuing of her creepy or not? This is a great question and I'm still starting Again, at this point, she is engaged. He has no idea who this man is. Only just met her. Yes. What do we think? I think hard yes, but I'll allow it. <laughs> That's how I feel. My my assessment, it's only okay because we as the viewer know that they fell in love and got married and actually love each other now. If and you because did- we know that this man has the purest of intentions. Yes, exactly. Any and- other situation, not okay. And that, you know, when he comes to her door to tell her that he wants to marry her and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm engaged to be married. I'm engaged to be married. Yeah. Really good impressions. He says like, oh, okay. And she goes like, but I do know you. But anyway, he leaves until, no, I guess I was going to say like until she gives him a little bit of hope, but she really doesn't. So more creepy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, there is a deleted scene in this movie that they chose not to include of Edward Bloom getting arrested for stalking <laughs> that they cut out because Tim Burton was like, it, it is the realistic thing to have happened, but we like don't want our main character to seem like a fucking freak. He's like a little bit persistent. A little um... persistent. And also, if I were... What's his name? What's the what's Roy's name? Roy's name. I call him Roy from the office. <laughs> That's why I'm calling him Roy. Yeah. Yeah. David De- Don Price. Don, 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 stop. Don. I will never marry you. <laughs> He's almost a stranger and I prefer him to you. <laughs> um if I were Don, I would be like, yeah, dude, what the fuck? Stop stalking my fiance, you Yes. Man. Also, Don Price. Okay. Also, Allison Lomond, who plays mm-hmm. uh, Sandra Bloom. Well, mm-hmm. now Sandra Bloom. I just love that she's playing this like wonderful, like very like you know put together young woman in school. But she's also in the movie Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> also, same with Jessica Lange. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so weird seeing Jessica Lange. Okay, I've seen Jessica Lange in this. I've seen Jessica Lange in Tootsie, and I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not that's not my Jessica Lange. No. I know Mine, you're Jessica Lang. 
American Horror Story. 1,000% every season, except for the ones that she may not be in. But listen. Yeah. I mean, she's so much better in those. She's an unbelievable talent and also like one of the most beautiful human beings to have ever walked the earth. Whoever does her makeup, like did they just, and her herself, they just find the light and it's gorgeous. My God. Yeah. Okay, let's get into the movie, I guess. We're talking about Jessica Lange. We're talking about all this, but should I spike in a Southern accent the rest of this podcast? I don't know. I'd love you to. I'd love to kind of kick us off here by talking about why I think this movie falls into this genre. Let's go. And it could be really obvious. One, that it's it's twofold. One, there are elements of this movie that are based in lore, like we have talked about. We have the witch, right? Um, which obviously dates back to something far away. We kind of have this whole plot line with the circus, which I think we could kind of call like an American lore. And and we have a, a, a multitude of elements in here that are things that we can draw back to fairy tales that we've all seen or other stories that we've seen. But the reason why I think that this film works well for this genre is is actually because folklore is the entire crutch of this father and son's relationship, which is half of the movie we're experiencing. We are unclear if it is fact or if if it is lore, just as Will Bloom is unclear if what he is learning and hearing about his father's life is fact or if it is lore. So what we're experiencing here is the, are things that we can draw back to fairy tales and lore and stories that we've heard elsewhere. But more importantly, what we're experiencing is the folklore of Edward Bloom's life, as told by Edward Bloom. I love this movie. And I think uh, when, I, when I think of this movie and when I think of why I love it, and I'm going to punt this over as a question to you, Emily, is I just feel like you could pause this movie on almost any frame and show it to someone with no context and you would be like I want to know this story like there's so the imagery and I think this is my favorite Tim Burton movie because it just feels like kind of like a perfect thing for him to have fallen into that's not something that he personally wrote imagery storytelling feels so specific to Tim Burton and I don't like know of another director who could have done this on such a big scale and done it as like weirdly and kitschy Mm -hmm. as he did. And I think that it lends itself to the entire theme of the story, right? That it, that it is relying so much on imagery. So to kick us off, Emily, I'd love to know, like, what is your favorite story in this movie? We get a lot of them and it can be a small one or it can be a big one. But like if you were to present someone with a single frame of this movie or a story, like what's your go-to? What's your favorite part of this movie? It's, you said so many amazing things. Do you know who was tied to this story, this movie before Tim Burton uh, was? Spielberg, right? Spielberg. With and do you Jack know who Wilson was attached. Jack Nicholson was going to be Edward Bloom. Again, which we've said in so many past episodes, completely different movie. Right. I'm sure we would have loved that movie, but completely different movie. My question is, would Jack Nicholson be like the Ewan McGregor? Or would he be, right? Like, or would he be the Albert Finney? Yeah. I assume he would be the, I assume he would be the Ewan McGregor. Right. And that doesn't work for me because I feel like the younger 
Edward Bloom has to be like faultless. He's infallible to the audience, right? Like he can only be charming and, and he charming without well scaring attention. the shit out of you. Right. And I do Which not. Hugh McGregor that does. That man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. If Jack Nicholson was in this movie and he was like, hey, I'm Inspector, I'd be like, I do not trust you. He's going to burn this whole town to the ground. I would not trust anything he was doing. But we have you in, and thank there. goodness for that. Yes. Um, but my favorite. Yeah. So I actually wrote down in this part of my notes, I was like, the production design in this movie is flawless. It's so beautiful. It's so fun. And we do go through different areas of Edward's life. So we have, you know, the, uh, we have Ashton, we have Spectre, the circus, we have like him, I believe it's the Korean war that he's in. It's just going through the line of all these different times of his life. My personal favorite, which is silly. I have to say the circus, right? If not for the beautiful scene of him walking through in the slow motion scene where he sees Sandra for the first time and he's walking through, everything has been paused. He's like pushing the popcorn aside. Everybody's completely still and he sees her perfectly framed, perfectly Mm -hmm. lit at the very Mm -hmm. opposite end of this tent. And then I just love how they say, well, the thing about like stopping time is that once time starts again, it has to speed up in order to like catch up with itself. And then he loses her for what he thinks might be forever. So yeah. I think the whole circus portion of this movie is probably my favorite part. Um, if not only for the Danny DeVito of yeah. it all. And um, also Mr. Soggy Bottom. All these characters are so fun. And the fact that uh, Danny DeVito is telling him facts about Sandra the whole time. And it's just like the most simple facts. I'm like, why is this man working for free? Right. And Danny DeVito is telling me, he goes, she likes music. I'm yep. like, that is a cop-out fucking fact. I'd be like, can you give me a band name or like a singer's name? Like giving, saying genre. she likes music is very open-ended. So he should have given her him more, honestly. But that's probably my favorite part of this movie. And also anything with Helena Bonham Carter. Yes. What about you? Um, I also love the circus and I think <clears throat> I I like, as we're talking about all these different stories, I really like that you mentioned in the time stopping scene, which I think is like the money shot of the movie and like, yeah. so lovely, um, that it, it ends with that little quip. It ends with that little, like once time stops, it has to go catch up with itself again. And all of them have one, all of them have Edward, like wrapping something up neatly, uh, for like why it was important for us to see this vignette and like why it's important for him to tell the story and a lesson that he learned from it like because that's what also stories do like we're supposed to learn from them yeah. and a lot of time that's like why they're born in culture um so I will just shout out a line that I always makes me laugh and I really love and it's how he ties up the werewolf sequence yes. also at the circle also at the circus um it's it's after Danny DeVito turns into the werewolf and he says, most things we consider evil and wicked are simply lonely and lacking in social niceties. Mm. <laughs> and I find that one very true and B one and B very funny. Um, um, do you know that that was Danny DeVito's first scene he's ever done nude? It's his first naked, like his first, first and last scene. Probably not last. I feel like that man gets naked and it's always sunny all the time. <laughs> God, well, it's exquisite. I do think yeah. my favorite single um sequence is 
I just really love the shot of Jenny throwing up the shoes inspector. Mm-hmm. Like it's very Tim Burton, that like perfectly framed shot with the trees coming in. They built that entire town. Spec- they built Specter. It's on a like deserted island somewhere in Alabama mm-hmm. in the middle of a lake. And it's like so picturesque and it's such like a staple in the movie, I feel like. But I love that that shot of her throwing up the shoes and he's running down after her and then the whole town is running down after him. Yeah. And I always think when I see that, like, I want to know this story, like with all the shoes lined up. Like, like who are the people behind the shoes? Like, like everybody in the town, right? That's what I right. assumed as the viewer is that everybody in that town had their I've shoes, had their up, shoes there, up there and that's why they're still here. Exactly. And it's just like that for me is a standalone image like that could be something that you see like framed or you could see it in a book with nothing associated to it. And you could just be like, I I can write this entire story in my head. Like I know yeah. what's happening here and everyone's interpretation might be different. But um, I love that aspect of this movie. I love the visual storytelling that comes along with it. Emily, I'd like to hear from you, like, why you think it's underrated. Like, why don't you think this is talked about more? But why do you think that when people do watch it, they, like, connect to it so much? Uh, That's a good question. My God. Well, I already told you. I mean, I think just as a a human being, I just like storytelling. Yeah. And I think the fact that the reason that I love this movie, you know, that I love, you know, a flashback. This is not a flashback necessarily. This whole movie is not a flashback because yeah. I think that we are seeing what's happening in real time with the real Edward Bloom. We're seeing what's happening with him and his son, Will, their relationship, which is very real. And mm-hmm. I like what's going on then. But then on the flip side of that, we have Edward is narrating kind of his life story, which we know is likely very fictional. Mm-hmm. But we don't know that for a fact as the viewer because we're getting this like movie you know this tim burton directed film version of edward bloom's story and i think i like it because we're seeing the real juxtaposed with the fictional or potentially fictional but that part is fun because i think as a viewer we love storytelling inherently like we just love seeing the fun like fantasy of everything going on like you know maybe he did you know parachute in and live and then meet a pair of twins and get them back to America you know and like think at the heart of it we see a love story as well with Edward and his wife which we love romance and then we also see the potential upset of that with him and Helena Bottom Carter with Jenny I guess Jenny from Spectre which is also a little bit creepy because and they do they do touch upon this in the movie where he meets Jenny when she and they're talking about the age of their relationship and she's like well when we're this age it won't be weird at all and then we meet her so again weird. later on right yeah. it's a little bit where we see him as a 20 year old or whatever old he is meeting this girl and she's like well I pretty much love you but when we're this age it won't be strange but us looking at them now we're like well you are seven years old and he's 20 something that's probably not appropriate yeah i think when um, I first meet, i'm eight what's the age? you're 18 but when i'm 18 you'll be 28 and when i'm 28 you'll be 38 mm-hmm. that's not that big of a difference at all she's not wrong but looking well, at it at that moment we're, we're like oh, oh he should not now wrong, which i think yeah. he does like i don't think 
I don't think he's ever romantically interested in Jenny. Agreed. And I think they made that very clear, which I appreciate. But Jenny yeah. loves him. Yeah. And we're very sad for Jenny. And then I like the also the story of her saying that she turns into the witch. But then yeah. Will goes, well, the timeline does not actually add up to that. And she's like, yeah. yeah. But that's, but. yeah. And I think what's great about that, like, to, to kind of, like, hang on to the Jenny bit of it is... um we agree that like Will was I'm that Edward was not romantically interested in Jenny, but that Jenny loved him. Mm-hmm. The way I kind of perceive their story is it's just about timing. Like I do think that Will mm-hmm. Jesus, I do think that Edward could have loved Jenny. Yeah. And I think that's the point. But the first time he was early and the second time he was late. Like he yeah. just never got the timing right. And also like he has this beautiful love story. But I love the entire sequence with him and Jenny because it it again it's like all of these can be simplified into one lesson and the Jenny and Edward lesson is that like so much about so much about life is about timing but like specifically so much about like love is about timing and for Jenny she never got the timing right Right. And also, like, from Will's perspective, he thinks of his father. He doesn't really know his dad. So he's thinking, well, my dad was a traveling salesman. You know, like, he was always away. He missed my birth, as we've found out. And he's trying to, like, dig in a polite way, just wondering, oh, yeah, like, did he ever, did you ever have an affair together? And she kind of shoots that down pretty quickly, which I think is very good. Because... As the viewer, when we're watching these stories that Edward is telling us, it's like exclusively a love story between him and Sandra. Yeah. Which is what we want to believe. But then the Jenny is the upset of that story. But I think you kind of need that in order to make like a dynamic movie and like a dynamic right. story, which is very interesting to watch. And like, I mean, we could talk this whole time just about Jenny's character. Like, I love the plot development that I do. I do think that she is the witch i mean she yeah. is innately in in the lord version right but like what we can perceive from that is that like and i guess this is just leading into like the entire interpretation of the movie is like that's how edward perceived her and those are the lessons that he yes. learned from her so who are we to say that it is false if what he took from that is being interpreted and told in a certain way. I can certainly see where that's frustrating and traumatizing as a child to not like feel like you don't know who your parent is. But of course I think like the entire evolution of this film is him realizing that he probably knows his dad way better than a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Thank God for these stories. Right. But at the same time, he doesn't know that like Will doesn't know that because he thinks everything is, is fake or everything is embellished from his father so i like that there's one scene in particular that i think is like one of the turning points of the movie where he's talking to his mom jessica lang sandra mm-hmm. and she goes oh i found the letters from when your dad was in the war and you know they thought he was mia for a long time he goes oh that was real and she says something along the lines of oh yeah everything like not everything that your father says is fake Mm-hmm. something you know something along those lines so i think that whenever edward is telling a story it has a ring of truth to it but as we find out later on it's obviously like he's obviously not you know going into the water and seeing a woman who turns physically into a fish but right. i don't know 
are we? That's the whole um, question of the movie. Right. You know, he's, he's going, you know, he might meet a giant who might be, you know, seven foot eight, but he's not but let's actually call 12 it foot. 12. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, um, to, to skip to the end of the movie here, cause I think we're, we're dancing around it is, um, what we see at his funeral is exactly like what we get foreshadowed in that sequence that you just mentioned, which is all of these twists in his story were based in truth, but were tweaked, right? So it's mm-hmm. like you said, the giant's not 12 feet. He's probably seven feet. Uh, the twins aren't conjoined. They're just twins. But this uh, man who runs the circus really is there. And all of these people from his past are real characters. A lot of, I'm I'm going to preface this with, I have so many questions for for you oh, so that's what a lot of this is que- I have excuse uh, exclusively questions going off of what you were talking about for like why you think people like this movie I think the parent relationship is huge and I think mm-hmm. kind of you and I have talked about time and time and time again on this podcast that like what we have found ourselves drawn to in movies are things that are like shown to us on a really grand scale but like are actually really simple so it's really fun to see this like crazy fantastical movie that's just about like a son trying to cope with the yeah. fact that his father is dying and just that trying he, to get like, to know his dad in real life exactly and he's and his feelings are complicated about it like it's a really great interpretation of what it feels like to have like a complicated relationship with your parent because he's sad he's angry he's frustrated he's grieving he I'm sh- like talks about on one level being relieved like he's like a really realistic character that I think could be unlikable if it had been tweaked a little bit but I don't think he I think Will is like a great do you disagree yeah. I was no I was gonna say Will or Edward because it, it kind of applies to both yeah I, no I agree and that like we're seeing them be way more alike than we than they know that they are yes. but and we um, see, and we're seeing, we're seeing Edward, or sorry, we're seeing Edward very much in his own lens because he's the one narrating his story. Right. So of course he's the hero figure. He's the one that's like the center. He's the protagonist of the story that we're seeing. But at the same time, I kind of love how Will is the one kind of trying to deconstruct that to say, yeah, sure, these are the stories that I've heard growing up, but I want to know the real you, like what actually happened. And I think that we like to see the fantasy of it. But at the same time, I'm also interested to see his flaws. I'm interested to see what Edward has done to like fuck up in his life because everybody does it. You know, like he gives all these elaborate stories and like all the people he's met. But at the same time, what have you done that has made you who you are today that might not be that might not put you in as good of a light as you're trying to perceive to your son? Totally. And like Will has seen his faults. And so I can can imagine, yeah, yeah, he's like, he's also looking to like rectify in his mind. Why was his father absent? He doesn't, he can't answer that question because he doesn't know who he is or what his real faults are. So maybe he was having an affair. Maybe he just didn't want to be part of the family and want a family at all. But um, I think that what's like so great and relatable about the course of the movie is like, Every relation, every parent-child relationship is complicated on some level. Obviously, that's like a huge, varied spectrum. But I think a lot of people relate to the fact that like, and I'm not a parent, obviously, but I think what we're seeing is that like a lot of 
parents try to parent their child how they wish they had been parented. Mm-hmm. And so as we're seeing Will about to have a son, he doesn't even know how to prepare for fatherhood because he doesn't even really have a full understanding of what he was missing in a father because he doesn't feel yeah. like he knows his dad. But what we see, like the arc that we see is not just him forgiving his dad for all of his faults, for his absences, but also like understanding his dad. Like by being the person who's at his bedside when he's dying, we see him come to an understanding of his dad that like I think we can all only wish to have in not just our parents, but just like any of the people in our lives. Yeah. And that also kind of reminds me of like just the town of Spectre of everything too, because when we were first introduced to Spectre, it's like this like ideal, like idealistic town where everybody, it's like a literal, like we're all eating apple pie. We're having a fine time. We're all barefoot and having a good time and dancing, whatever it might be. And then Edward comes in and kind of upsets that a little bit by leaving where they're not used to that. And then later when we come and are introduced to it, it's not as, you know, rose colored glasses as it was at the very beginning of the movie. And it's kind of cool to see. That's kind of also how I think that, Edward is perceiving maybe his life where Mm -hmm. at the very beginning he's coming in and saying like I shouldn't be here yet it's too ideal leaves comes back and says oh this wasn't the place that I initially thought it was so maybe that could be a reflection of him as a person it's obviously a reflection of the town where it's like very decrepit when he comes back but he sees himself as to fix it and he's like I gotta fix this place and then that's when Jenny you know lives there and they kind of build it up again so that could be i think maybe even him trying to build himself up or build this town up to make it better than what it was before to make it more uh i don't know livable make it make people like feel more comfortable and at home because that's what his whole deal is right like i think he wants he wanted to do to specter what he wanted to do to his own life Mm -hmm. which is idolize it like he wants the the fairy tale version of the thing. So him seeing this town that was the epitome of that all of a sudden now like be destroyed. Opposite, right? right. Maybe because of the logistics that we hear, but also maybe because that's what it was always like. And he's just aged. Exactly. Like, he like can't cope with the fact that this town is in ruins, which it's like kind of like the, there's no selfless good deed situation. Like he's doing it because quote, he likes to help people, which I believe is true. And he loves mm-hmm. his town, which we know is true. But like also because there's something in him that I don't think could live with the fact that this place that yes. was like the epitome of, of like America is like, it's like the yeah. American dream. Right. Like area. is now in ruins. Like he couldn't live knowing that yeah. that was happening. Cause that was giving him something that was giving him. Yeah. It was, I'm, I'm sure he was like thinking back to that time of his life thinking, yeah, this is like an idealistic place. That's where he like met Norther Winslow. Shout out Steve Buscemi. You yeah. know, like that's where he met and like learned a lot of, you know, his, I guess I feel like he learned a lot of life lessons in this one town yeah before he broke away from it and then came back and wanted to be exactly how it was but it was completely different right yeah for sure i i agree i think which we've all done probably in real life too right like i've gone to places where i'm like man that place was amazing go back later in my life and i say oh not as cool now that i've lived my life the same as like watching a movie that you love as a child and you revisit it and you're like shit it doesn't hold up like the mask right Right. <laughs> Don't. It's too soon, Madison. It's too soon. I have a question that <laughs> a I think point. I think sums up 
the character of Edward Bloom as well as we can if we're if okay. we're asking ourselves the ultimate Edward question. For you, when you're at the end of this movie, what does the last scene mean to you specifically not the last scene, what does the death scene mean to you specifically the line you became what you always were? A really big fish. How do you interpret that? Well, great question. I think that he saw and this is another question. Can I throw can I can I raise your question another question? Heck yeah, you can. Going back to the beginning of this movie with Edward Don't. Edward Don't. So if you could see the way you died, let's say that there's a witch in town and you can look into her glass eye and see how you died, would you do it? I think that young Edward's rationalizing why he does makes a lot of good sense, which is it's going to happen. And if I see how it happens, then I don't have to worry about it happening until I know that it's time to happen. Um, So I'm going to, the optimist is in me is going to say, I think I could handle that. And I would go with, yes, I'd want to see how I die. What about you? I agree. And then to elaborate on that too, it's like, if you saw how you die, you mm-hmm. could be in fear of that your yeah. whole life and be very paranoid and always like looking behind your shoulder to see if death's coming. Right. But I'm a planner. I feel like you're a planner. <laughs> I think that if I saw how I died, the same thing that Edward said in the movie, you know, like I feel like if you were prepared for it, you would kind of be able to live your life more knowing that you wouldn't die if you took certain risks. So like, as we see in Edward Bloom's life, he does a lot of things and he's like, you know what? This isn't how I die. So he's okay with that. And he's able to like, kind of live a little bit more because of that. Yeah. So I would totally want to see how I died. Why not? I'm just scared that I would have the, I wouldn't know it at all. If that was the case, I'd be like, well, fuck it. Like, I guess whatever. If I die changing a light bulb in a cardigan, Later in life, I guess I'll go skydiving or, you know, join yeah. whatever Agree. groups, whatever, leading up to that. Agree. What was your, wait, what was your original question? Uh, my question was, what? how do you interpret the line, you've become what you yeah. always were, a really big fish? So I think that Edward Bloom saw how he died. And I think that's how he literally interpreted it at the very end of the movie is that he turns into a big fish around all of his friends because he knows that his son tells him that story, which is very emotional. And I think that that story, all the stories that he has told are him being that big fish, being that big story, being that hero, the protagonist. And I think that he knows that going in. And and when he dies, he says, right. He says, exactly. Is that his last, is that his mm-hmm. final word? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is his, is him accepting the way he's got to go. Mm-hmm. I like relating it back the prophecy. to prophecy. Right. The prophecy as it were. Um, I think I remember when I was younger and I, cause I was obsessed with this movie as a child. I watched it. Hannah and I watched it all the time. Um, and so there's a lot of like little things, like little behind the scenes things that I just like still know. It's like one of those movies, like yeah. they go on to the witch's porch and a black cat runs by and you think bad luck, but then a second one runs by, which means good luck. 
didn't like, even think about that. Yeah, I remember Great. us like pointing that out, and like there's so many like little, and the fact that the at the end of the movie when they go to the funeral. Does not town not look like Spectre, but all the homes oh. are gone and it's just the church standing. Yeah. So just like little things that I just remember talking, like thinking of when I was a kid. It's a really visceral movie for me to watch. But something that always bothered me as a kid is I did not understand the entire analogy of Big Fish, which I now realize is really obvious. But um, I do think it all relates back into like him and, and how he wants to go. But I just it took me way longer than I'd care to admit to like remember back to the sequence when he's a kid and he has the he's bedridden for three years because his ambition was too big for his body Mm -hmm. and of course this entire movie is just an analogy for like big fish small pond and like for Edward Bloom life is too small of a pond like the confines of how we go about lives as human beings we get married and we have jobs and then we have children those confines are his small pond and he's a big fish so for him to be able to do those things he needed to be able to cope in other ways and his coping was like escaping into his own life Mm -hmm. I think and like escaping into the tales of his own life and I think and the again, line of the tales of, and I think that also he's able to do that because he sees how he dies in the witch's eyes and he goes, well, that's not how I go. So I might as well make more of myself than what I right. initially might've thought. Well, I think that's a really interesting interpretation too. And I kind of love this because I'm gonna, I'm going to play devil's advocate to your point here, which is, I think you can see this movie in two different ways. You can see it and you can take the lore as fact like you can take it as fact even though we get these like pieces in the movie of Mm -hmm. like this was a little different but who are we to say he did not see the way he died in the witch's eye but to play devil's advocate for something I do think is equally as lovely is I don't think that the human Edward Bloom we know did actually meet a witch and see how he was going to die I think that Mm -hmm. that's a lord story but I think that he has been waiting his entire life for his son to play along. And he just so happened to set his son up so perfectly to do it when he needed it most. most, And so I think for him, when he says, nope, this isn't how I go, that's just Edward being Edward. He wasn't expecting, he wasn't waiting for the story, but it's, it's his son giving him the story. I feel like I'm going to cry because it's like so, so lovely. Sweet. But yeah. it's his son giving and him the Will story. Gets so, and he gets so into it. And you can see he's actually doing it from his heart when he's telling him the story. When he's like, this is how it's going to go. And it's Will. You can see like the way that it's in his eyes is that he's just like doing it for his dad. And he's yes. making this story based off of everything he knows about his dad. He's like, right. this is how my dad would want me to tell this story. This is the this is what's going on. This yeah. is how it's going to happen. Yep. Exactly. And so I think that like do I think that he actually knew how he was going to die? No. But I think that like oh. all he needed to be like leave this life in peace, which is all we could ever ask for is for his son to give him this affirmation to to play along, his son to yeah. play along. And so when he does that and he says exactly for me, it's just this moment of like sheer like peace. Like it just seems like just a like beautiful, peaceful moment. And then the added layer on top of it, right? This big fish 
is lore, right? Like mm-hmm. you become what you've always been, a really big fish. And then we get that sequence of him and Marion Cotillard's son in the pool telling these stories yeah. and this fish that he's bringing into the river that theoretically is living forever are his stories and his stories, his lore, Edward Bloom's lore is going to live forever. And that's all he was like, he wanted to be his stories. So he's like transcended life by being these stories, by being this big fish, this Mm -hmm. big story. And it's swimming in the water with like the whole movie just walks this perfect balance between like, is it real or isn't it real? But like, it's equally as lovely either way. Like if all the things we're seeing are lies, like, that's the point of the movie is like, it's still a lovely yeah. relationship and story. And I love how the son also like at the very end, when he's telling the story to his friends in the pool. He like asks, he asks his dad, he goes, right, dad. And then he goes, Basically yeah, how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so sweet because like, again, that's Will, that's his son, like kind of making that live off in history in their family, in their family lore. Yes, exactly. Madison. It's so not. Ni- it's just like the nicest movie. It's yeah, so sweet. Um, uh, there are a few things we kind of plowed right into this, and I think we got to the real meat of it before we usually do. But I do have a couple behind the scenes things that I just feel like oh, we yeah. have to talk about. One, we have to talk about the fucking kid from Deliverance who's playing the banjo on the porch. Ding 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 ding. Right. Ding ding ding. Right. So as a history lesson for here, for people who have not seen Deliverance, one, don't, don't, it's traumatizing, it's terrifying. That kid is a very famous character in that movie who's very creepy and he's playing the banjo on the porch. You've seen it. It's a famous sequence, which was then put into the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. So the old man playing the banjo in Pirates of the Caribbean is playing that song. And they got him for this movie. The ride. Just to remind everybody, the ride, right before you're in the blue bio on the left hand side, you got the guy. Yeah. But it's wild to me that they got the actual fucking kid from Deliverance to sit on that porch. So, like, have to shout that out because that could not work in any other movie. But Tim Burton is so twisted while being lovely that that kid works somehow in Idyllic Spectre. Um, And it's really funny. I have just, like, a question for you for behind-the-scenes fact. Because my my sister and I always disagreed about this growing up. How do you feel about the younger, older casting situation? Like, do you feel like the pairings look like each other and make sense? People think that Albert Finney looks like Ewan McGregor. I disagree. Concur. Myself. Thank you for concurring with me. Yeah. But I love I love the young Sandra Bloom. Yeah. With Alison Lohman and Jessica Lange. I think they're yeah. very, very good juxtaposed against each other because they're both pretty sweet. And also just, they just both, both of those characters just love Edward at the end of the day. So it's very nice. Yeah. I agree. I wouldn't change any of the cast members, but I agree that like, because I love Albert Finney and oh my mm-hmm. God, Ewan McGregor is the perfect Perfection. Person, perfect yeah. person for this role. But I agree. And uh, in some behind the scenes clips, Ewan McGregor talks about like, yeah, Albert Finney filmed all of his stuff before me, but I did not. I put zero effort into trying to do anything similar to him with this character. Like they played it however they both Good. wanted to play it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I agree, though, that Allison Lohman and Jessica Lang are a good pairing. And that's what Hannah and I always disagreed upon. Hannah and I, Hannah, like, was very emphatic that they did not look alike. Uh, I was I like, thought they, I thought I like, like them better than the Edwards. I agree. Personally. They make more sense to me. I, yeah. I 100% agree. Um, 
When they get the in last... the bathtub together, I'm sorry. I don't That's think my favorite. Ever, I don't think I'll ever dry out. It's the sweetest part. I've That's when I was like, about... they lo- they fucking love each other. Is when I... she gets. They're both fully clothed. They just get in. I'm drying out. <laughs> what do you think that means? I've thought a lot about that line. What do you think the line means? I don't think I'll ever dry out because I don't know. With Jessica Lange's character. Yeah. What is she saying? She's there? crying. I think she, because she's crying too much oh. because she loves her husband and she oh. knows he's dying. I think she's saying because she's crying when she says, I think she says, I'm, I don't think I'll ever dry out because she's so sad that he's yeah. passing away that she's always going to keep crying. Oh, that's, that's it. Yeah. I know. It's sad. Sad. Last thing before we start wrapping things up, Emily, is we, we simply could not proceed through this episode without talking about Danny Elfman. Oh, the best. Randomly yeah. shout out to our real friend Daryush. Daryush randomly one day just sent me a video of Danny Elfman's Coachella set. Have you seen how ripped Danny Elfman is? And he's like 60 or 70 years old. And he should we just Coachella? get should we just like get ripped like Danny Elfman? Yeah. Okay. We'll just try it out. What's his diet? Bananas? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Bananas and bones because of all of the Tim Burton movies. <laughs> <laughs> bananas and bones sweet sweet music but i love that this score is of course it's danny elfman it's gorgeous it feels like just as sweet of a departure for danny elfman as it does for tim burton like it makes the most sense that it's these it's these two people doing this movie but like oh the score is so good and exciting and like the twangy elements to it while also being adventure yes emily what's your favorite part what's your favorite score part i have one I think, I mean, the one I can hear in my head right now is when Jenny steals his shoes and they're running down the grass thing at Spectre and they're going, Mine, same, same, but different. Yeah. When it's, when it's Edward Bloom and helping to fix up older Jenny's house for the first time and they reveal the house when they yeah. pull the eyes away and it's like a beautiful reveal of her new house yeah. in the swamp that's Inspector. one of my favorite uh it's screen beautiful. grabs too is the screen grab of Helena Bottom Carter going <gasps> is one yep. of like that yep. would be my top five favorite I love that part so much so good oh my god <laughs> what a good movie do you want to ask you Q I do. I have a final, I have a kind of final tie, like wrap up question. Oh. Okay. So we obviously see, we obviously see as the viewer, these stories that Edward is telling us, but we also see kind of some factual things that might come into play at the very end Mm -hmm. of the movie when we see all these attendees coming to the funeral. Yeah. Do you think any of Edward Bloom's stories are 100% factual? And if so, which stories? Uh, it's hard. Gonna, so we I'm see. So we already with- we already talked a little bit about like Carl. So we know that Carl's not actually like a twelve foot giant, but he is a very tall right. man. Right. I. I'm gonna. <laughs> okay, I have my answer. <laughs> yeah. I would like to think that Edward Bloom really did have dreams as a child of a crow visiting saying your daddy's gonna die and then your daddy's gonna die and it's you the, think you had a bad day my mother said 
the milkman dropped dead on the porch. <laughs> I like to think that that's the true Edward. I love that because it's like the purely like oral like story that we hear from him that we don't see on screen. I love that. I love that sequence so much. One, just the way that it's shot because mm-hmm. I mean, Albert Finney is a like Iconic. masterclass in acting, yeah. but when he's telling it and it has that like profile shot that's lit so darkly and he's just so into the story. I love that we got those sequences of him telling the stories with no visuals, just as much as I love the visuals. What do you think? What's yours? Well, I will say my favorite reveal is when the twins are next to each other and we're like, Oh, of course it's twins. Of course they are. And then, and then Steve Buscemi comes and takes, I believe, his wife, and he walks away. Yeah. And when I was a small child, I went, they got the surgery. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that they were, like, legit conjoined twins, and they got the surgery. So you're just <laughs> like, then, well, good for them. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, they made it. Yeah, good for them. They found Bob two, two pairs of legs around. <laughs> great also great i love the twins like what a beautiful like character study for both of them yeah but i would like to think but what was that pretty racist oh could have been better named maybe oh yes of course (laughs) but i I I love those characters they're so good i think that out of everything Obviously, Danny DeVito is probably a werewolf just because he's so hairy. Just For kidding. sure. No. But I think the one story that I do believe, I feel that Norther Winslow probably <laughs> robbed that bank. <laughs> I feel like I would, like, Norther Winslow's entire plot line, just fact. Right? Like, roses are red, violets are blue, I love I Spectre. Love Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing else. Like, I love... Like, I think, yes, exactly right. Everything Norther Winslow did was fact. There was no embellishment in that sense. He robbed that bank. Sky so blue. Spectre is really great. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's beautiful poetry. And he probably had the yips for a little bit. But then he was like, it's the 70s, baby. I got sideburns. I'm going to rob this bank. But it was really nice. And then I do believe that he married an Asian woman. I do think t- the only part of his story that was left out was just when he left for Wall Street, he probably did a lot of cocaine. Oh, that, that was, I miss, I think that was implied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was heavily, the sideburns showed it. Yeah, it was implied. Yeah, his sideburns were made of cocaine. Oh, yes, we all saw it, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Katie, make a character, make a character graphic. She'll, she'll never Winslow's hear this. Cocaine sideburns. <laughs> Tell me a secret that Katie doesn't know because she'll never listen to this episode. Oh my god, I wouldn't know. She'd kill me. She'd find out somehow. I I know it. Should we wrap? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was so fun. Em, thank you for. Uh, oh my god, chatting with me about this. I had such a good time. The Southern Gothic fantasy. Man, what a world. What a beautiful um, film. Thank you for talking to me about this. Getting to, we've said it before, we'll say it again, best part of the episode. You told me right before we recorded, like 10 minutes before we recorded, that you made a last minute movie and genre shift for your choice for next episode. So I'm kind of anxious to hear it because that always means good things. So Emily, what are we watching? I did change. Um, And... It was also very last minute, which are, I know that you plan ahead. I like to do spur of the moment. Sure. <laughs> like, what do I want to watch? So next week, I would like to watch this movie. Uh-huh. 
So Madison, next week, the movie we're going to watch is, I don't know how many times I can say it a different way, but next week we're going to watch The Emperor's New Groove and other underrated animated films. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Because we haven't done an animated movie in a, a little while, so I think it's time for us to talk. And this movie is like an hour and 20 minutes. It's so fun. It's so easy and we all love it. I don't know anybody who does not love this movie. It's it's immaculate. And also we have to post yeah. a pic of your Yzma costume. Oh, that was such a long time ago. Holy shit. We got to do it. I that was my last minute. Again, a Halloween. I'm just choosing movies based off my Halloween, your Halloween. costumes. Yeah. You groove in other Halloween costumes by Emily. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited for emperor's new groove what a pleasant treat that we get to watch I know, that it's gonna be very fun gonna be very it'll be a fun ride I so can. also with that being said please remember to uh follow us on instagram our handle is at real friends pod and then also please remember to rate review subscribe uh tell steve buscemi's cocaine sideburns um madison who else should the people tell that about covers it but if you're around her yeah. just you know jessica lang i think would like us She's fantastic. I might go watch some American Horror Story Coven right now. I can do that. I love that for you. That's one of my favorite seasons of hers. She's fantastic. The Supreme. Are you kidding me? She's a fucking witch. Yeah. Get out of here. She's the the main witch. Get out of here. Yeah. No, she's immaculate. Yeah. Well, Madison, Um, I love you so much. I love you. This was great. And I love Edward Bloom. Emily Steinle, I love you and I will marry you. And I will marry you. And that's showbiz baby. Edward, don't. That's showbiz baby. I don't want to eat you. I don't. I don't want to eat you, Carl. Carl. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.